0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning.
1: I'm glad to see you all. I'm going to pray first. Lord, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your goodness, and Lord, I just ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts to your voice, It's what you have to say to us, Lord, and, you know, the, the hope is that we would be obedient in what you're calling us to do as individuals and as a church body, Lord. Amen. All right, so this is the last message in this Militant Hope series. Um, They've all been so good, so if you missed any of those, you should definitely go listen if you missed one. Last week, Heather shared, and I just wanted to thank you because I know that it's difficult to get vulnerable and, like, share the personal side of our stories. That's really hard, so thank you for doing that. So, Militant Hope. Today is February 19th. And on this date, 29 years ago in 1994, my dad killed himself. And I was 20 years old, and of course it flipped my world upside down. And back then, I had religion, I had a lot of religion, but I didn't have Jesus. So the hope I had was in people. The hope I had was in my dad, was in my family, was in myself, it was in the world. And when I look back now, I realize how dark things were in the years following his death, and it felt very oppressive. But back then, I thought that's the way it was. I thought that's the way it would always be. And then when I was 28, Jesus saved me, and he called me. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes. And I I answered the call. And I followed him. And that's when I realized what hope was and that it had a name. And his name was Jesus. So six years ago, when my brother unfortunately killed himself, it was dark. But this time there was hope in the darkness. This time it was almost as if I was somehow above it, and don't get me wrong, it was painful, it was devastating, it was really, really hard, and it still is, but my hope is no longer in this world. It's in the maker of this world. And that changes your perspective. That changes the way you see things. Hebrews six eighteen through 19, this is the Passion Translation. Don't let the Passion Translation scare you. It's actually very beautiful, and this puts it so perfectly. It says, and now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. That is powerful. And I love that it says he empowers us to seize what is ours. Seize is a a militant word, isn't it? And when I think of militant, it actually makes me think of someone who is defiant, And not defiant like your three-year-old telling you no every five seconds, but defiant in a good way. It means you're willing to challenge, to resist, or to fight someone or something when it sets itself up against what you know to be true. And I want to repeat that because it is good. Thank you, honey. (laughs) So it means that you are willing to challenge to resist or to fight someone or something when it sets itself up against what you know to be true. And see the things that do that, the things that put themselves up against the truth, those are spiritual. They're rooted in demonic spirits. And we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the principalities and rulers in the heavenly places. That's why we're directed to test the spirits. 1 John 4.1 says, do not trust every spirit, but carefully examine what they say to determine if they are of God. Because many false prophets have mingled into the world. Here's the test for those with the genuine spirit of God. They will confess Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the spirit of antichrist which you heard was coming and is already active in the world. Is there an echo or is that just me up here? Is that okay? So testing the spirits. When you test the spirits against the knowledge of God, against his word, the truth, you're going to know what is truth and what is error, what is false. See, that's why this is important. His word is important. It's important to be filling yourself with his truth every single day. Whether you think you understand it or not, whether you feel like it or not, because it is supernatural. When you are in this word, reading it, something supernatural happens. And you'll be amazed if you actually get in here and start reading it, what the Lord will do. He'll help you remember things. He'll bring things to mind in certain situations. It's also important to listen to people, to follow people on social media, read books by people who are solid in the truth, who are not afraid to stand on what God says. Because, see, listen, the enemy is crafty. The Bible uses that term, that he's crafty. And he loves to use words and he loves to use language that look the part, that look nice because he comes as an angel of light. That's what scripture says. But when you start to test the spirits against the knowledge of God, against his truth, you'll start to uncover things in your belief system or maybe people you've been listening to where it's like, no, you know what? There's some lies in what I was told and what I believed. Ephesians 4.4 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This is happening on a massive scale in our culture. Where the enemy is trying to trick us with things that sound like the truth. But anything that denies the truth is antichrist. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. So everything that is true comes from him, and everything that is false comes from Satan. That's why Jesus said he called the devil the father of lies. That's interesting, isn't it? So remember this. Every time you're ever tempted to lie, remember that when you do, you're basically calling Satan your daddy. Yeah, that's convicting, isn't it? And I hope you remember this the next time you're tempted to lie. Oh, wait a second. Is Satan my daddy? Ouch, right? So anything that is antichrist is inspired by doctrines of demons, by teachings of demons. And see, we're living in a culture where it's just woven into things all over. And most of the things, it's not very obvious. It might actually seem right or seem harmless, So when we're told to test the spirits, it means in everything. But we usually don't because, unfortunately, the bride has been sleeping. It really has. We have been lulled to sleep by the spirit of the age, by constant distractions, by our phones, by entertainment, by our own thoughts sometimes. And it's kind of like the story of Samson and Delilah. Judges 1619 says, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Because remember, his strength, his authority, and power were in his hair. He was not to cut his hair. So his power and authority were stolen from him because he allowed something that looked nice, something that looked beautiful and harmless, to make him so comfortable that he became complacent. And you cannot be complacent and militant at the same time. But it's much easier to be complacent than to be courageous. I believe complacency is a product of fear. We become complacent because we have this fear of confronting things, fear of man, fear of facing the truth, fear of rejection, fear of death, fear of being judged. Fear, fear, fear. But when your hope is so rooted in and fixed on Jesus, there will be no fear when it comes to challenging and resisting the enemy. And let's look at the story of Goliath, for instance. So Goliath is taunting the Israelite army. He's mocking the army. He's mocking God. And the entire Israelite army is cowering in a tent along with their king. And in that kind of situation, you know, most people are going to walk into that tent and they're going to agree with the hopeless attitude. They're going to come under that spirit of fear that has subdued the entire army, but not David. David wasn't even old enough to be in the army, but here he comes. He's got like his bread in one arm and cheese in the other because he's coming to nourish the troops and he walks in and he's like, hey, who's this? Who's the big dude out there mocking God? Is anybody going to take care of this? He said, okay, I'll take care of it because he had militant hope. He had a spirit that was not afraid to defy the enemy because David knew who God was and he knew who he was because of God. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 46. So David has his sling and he has his stones And it says, David replied to the Philistine, to Goliath, he said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. See, David's hope was active and courageous because of his confidence in the Lord, not confidence in himself. And I love that David says this. He says, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. We forget that part, right? That God wants you to partner with him in the battle, in your victories. It's a partnership. And even though this is Old Testament stuff, you know, we can excuse that. Like, that's the Old Testament. No, we're still called to have that kind of militant, active, courageous hope. Because you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Those who believe will cast out demons in my name. They will heal the sick in my name. They will speak in tongues. They will have visions. They will prophesy, among uh, lots of other things. Do you think it will take militant hope to do those things, to step into those things, to defy the enemy? Yes, it will. But see, we have an enemy who is also militant in his desire for killing, stealing, destroying, for silencing the enemy, for stealing your faith. And he's counting on us to partner with a spirit of fear and stay in the tent with all the others. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to militant hope. And I'm going to pause here because I'm going to bring up Caleb and Leah Horn. Um, They're going to just share a little bit about their testimony. Yes. Yes. They've just got a remarkable testimony of what they've experienced over the last year and a half, of what it really looks like to stand in the face of a giant and to resist and challenge that giant. So, yes. Hi. You've got got the the four here, Leah. Go
2: ahead. Okay. Um, So, I would say it was about a year ago this past August that Caleb and I were really really tested. And I feel like it was probably in our life, one of the hardest things that we've walked through. Um, so as many of you know, the military was forced to get the COVID vaccine and very early on Caleb and I felt like the Lord gave us discernment to say no. And I think that the discernment that we had and in the very beginning is what carried us because it was hard. And we, we were literally alone. Um, there were maybe a handful of other people who were going through it, but they weren't allowed to tell us who that was. So it was just him and I who were figuring it out. Um, so I was full time for the military. I was um, active duty, and it was the harassment and the bullying was it was extreme. I mean, it was really unbelievable when I look back to re- and like remember what I went through. Um, just the statements that were made to me and my, my character being attacked and um, it got to the point where it was so bad that I quit my job of seven years and that was something that I loved and that I was passionate about and just the complete and total like darkness that was over people who I, I loved and who I had year long relationships with um, it, it shattered. You didn't quit my...
1: all the way, though. You're still part-time. Right. I'm yeah. still
2: part-time. Yeah, I quit my, my full-time job. Um, but I just felt like God was calling me away from that. And um, I, I had a, a lot of hope, but we also relied so much on people who were interceding for us and who were praying with us, and that increased our, our faith. You know, there were many times where we felt like we just wanted to give in. We just wanted to go through with it and get the shot. But we knew that God told us very early on that this was not what we were supposed to do. And um, I remember being up here on a Thursday night, and Chris had prayed over me. And he said, I'm about to cross the Canadian border. And I believe specifically that the situation is going to be broken open. And it was, that was October, a year later. And this past January, it came down that um, the vaccine was completely rescinded for us. Yes, thank you, Lord. So yes. when I think back, I mean, walking through that was, was hard. It was very hard, but it was, it refined us. And um, I don't know if you've got, if you guys have ever heard that song. That's, I want to be tried by fire purified. It's like, okay, not like that. Like, I don't want scars. I don't want to be burned, but God's like, no, I'm going to walk with you. And we're going to go through the fire together. So.
1: Give us one example of like one time where you felt completely attacked because you had your bosses say horrible things to your face. Give us one example of that.
2: Um, well, I, I felt singled out, completely singled out. I mean, there was times where I would make just a simple mistake. And one example of that, I mean, I was screamed at, like, right here in in my face in front of multiple people. Just things like that that have never happened to me before that I experienced. And I, you know, I was called, like, a dirty hippie. Wow. <laughs> I think, wow. Like, you know, but... I, I, w- I would do it again if it meant where I'm at now, yeah. what God yes. has brought us through. Yes. So. So good, Leah. Thank you. And at the at the end of all of this, I met with my commander, and he was one like between like closed door conversations. What I where I could hear my name repeatedly, um, he told me that he was proud of me, mm-hmm. and that um, he was like it was it was worth it. And so it was, yeah.
0: Hello. (laughs) I don't do this, so (laughs) a little nervous. Um, So yeah, what is it? uh, July of 21, things started kind of coming down. That was sound like we're going to have to get the vaccine. Um, If you know me, I'm, I'm a rule follower by nature. Um, but as I get older, I call BS when I see it. And, um, this didn't, just didn't check out. And, um, I've, I've gotten other vaccinations or whatever I needed for the military. It was not any, is no factor. Um, this one, I just felt like a strong pull in my heart. Like you gotta, you gotta stand up, dude. And however it shakes out, it shakes out. Um, but yeah, it, w- it was pretty ridiculous how much bullying we were getting. And, um, just snide offhand comments from people and and obviously, like at a secular level, they wouldn't understand what I was doing or what I was fighting inside myself. Um, but I'd say probably the hardest thing was you know all the opportunities that you miss out on, um, you know you don't you don't get to deploy on any trips. Um, I was watching people basically just sell their soul essentially just to go on a couple week long trip to Germany or something like that, which, Hey, sounds super awesome. I was supposed to go on that one too, but, um, I just, I just felt like I, I can't cave. I can't cave not, I'm not going to trade in two weeks for a life. Um, you know, if, if something does go already with this vaccine, like my, what are my kids going to do? What are my wife going to do? Like they still need their father and their husband. Um, and I knew that God was going to protect me at some level, but as you get through it, like, There's, like she said, so many times where you just wanted to give up, man. It's like, this is so ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's never going to end. And then, um, you know, thankfully, it took so long to get our religious exemptions denied that it was basically done with. And so after, what, 390 days or something like that of waiting, they gave me my denial I had five days to respond an appeal or to go get, become compliant basically, or I'd be getting pushed out. Um, so I, I, my lowest moment was um, when that happened, there was a court case going on through the federal judge in Ohio. And I'm like asking my commander, I'm asking my chaplain. I asked our JAG, which is like the entire base's lawyer essentially, and he's like, I do not answer to you. He's like, I advise command. He's like, I can't. I'm like, I just need you to read this paper, dude. Like, am I covered? And he's like, I can't tell you that. And I'm like, I had never felt so dark, but Hey, what do they say? The darkest hour, darkest hour of the night comes before the dawn. So, um, what like three weeks after I, I put my strongly worded, professionally worded (laughs) appeal in, um, it was rescinded and the whole time and Phil your tattoo one forty four all throughout rugby and all that, like that's that's been my verse throughout this whole thing. Psalm one forty four. And um man, it it was tough. There was some dark, dark moments, man. And I was like you had talked about like the spirit of fear and how disengaged um you can become. I was very disengaged. I was not me at all and it's just you feel like the of the world's on you and there's just no way out but
1: let me ask this so that they understand this part of it so there's hundreds of people out on that base right and did you have anyone that was standing with you against this mandate
0: no um there was maybe on the entire base there is what 1300 people or so I think there was there was less than 10 that were unvaccinated um, there was less than five. five in our maintenance group but we didn't know. Mm-hmm. and I was the only full timer that yeah. wasn't. So any, any word about the, the vaccine and the meeting minutes that goes throughout the entire maintenance group of 400 people, it's like, uh, everybody knows that's, that's Caleb Horn. <laughs> <laughs> so there there was no hiding from that. So you very much feel like you're walking around with a target on your back. So, um, and, of course, people take things personally and take personal jabs at you. And, but then there's other people that even though they got the vaccine, like they were rooting for you and kind of helping you push through. So um, it might seem very, like, trivial to some people, but that was, that was a very tough road. In my career, like, single-income family, like I put food on the table for my family with this job. Like I, I put it all out there so and I actually turned down a fairly decent job offer outside of this because i had faith that this would work out yeah so
1: yeah you had and it, it wasn't two weeks, yeah, it was even 2 weeks
0: yeah it was not even 2 weeks later um, this this had come down so god's timing man i tell you it yes. it just worked out yes. <laughs> i don't know how to explain it it just worked out yes so you
1: guys thank you so much i just i want to clap for them because i think what <laughs> Because I, I'm completely inspired by their militant hope and by their courage. Um, because if we were to all really process what that meant to do what they did and to stand in that kind of circumstance in the military and to, to not buckle. I mean, I know, it, I know at times maybe it felt like you were buckling under fear, but they didn't. They did not buckle because God was the commander on your side. So, thank you, Lord, for what you did through Caleb and Leah. And you guys, thank you for being willing to even come up here and share. So, we love you. Thank you.
0: Uh, I just want to say one thing. <laughs> yes, um I, I totally forgot. I literally had yes. it written down here. It didn't do you talked about um, giving new faith last week. Um we got baptized right after our wedding mm-hmm. in November yeah. of 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that like renewed my faith and like made us strong enough mm-hmm. as, a, as a unit, us both, yes. because we both need each other. We were both on different days like saying, screw this, dude. We're getting it. And the other one would be like, no, idiot, don't. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop being a sissy. Just deal with it. Um, but that... That renewed faith is what pushed us through. And I firmly believe that if we wouldn't have chosen as a family to get baptized again and to to give our lives to to our Jesus, there's no way we would have got through it. So
1: good. So So good. (laughs) Thank you guys. And just just to reassure you guys, like sometimes we can feel offenses rise up with conversations like this but you know what it's not this was not about a vaccine this was about literally a Goliath our government trying to force something into our bodies that's demonic it's demonic so we need people like Caleb and Leah who are willing to take a stand and it's it's a beautiful picture of of militant hope right to come out on the other side of this battle and be victorious because God showed up because God was faithful and it's, it reminds me of one of my favorite verses, um, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is a picture of that. So I'm so proud of you guys for challenging and resisting the enemy when he was setting things up against the truth, what you knew to be true in your heart. And I know that wording like challenging, resisting, and fighting I know there's, there's Christians who it makes you feel uncomfortable because you're like, does that really fit with what we're supposed to do as Christians? It does, 100%. It, this, it fits into what we're called to do while we're here on this earth. We're in the world but not of the world. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So we are supposed to destroy these obstacles that are preventing people from knowing the truth, knowing God. King James Version says, we cast down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself above God. And, you know, it doesn't take a degree in theology, you guys, to look around the world and realize, geez, there's there's a whole lot of things Whole lot of obstacles, whole lot of ideas and imaginations that are not lining up with the truth of God. And it's my job, it's your job to start coming at those. One example of these obstacles would be what we see happening in our culture with entertainment. Because entertainment is a huge deal in America. And you could just take time and scroll through something like Netflix. I'm not judging anyone who has Netflix, I still have it. Do I debate getting rid of it all the time? Yes, I do. (laughs) But we have to start being realistic. So if you were to scroll through Netflix and you start looking at the titles, looking at the pictures, the ratings, the stories, watching these things, do you think there might be some obstacles in there that would keep people from knowing the truth or keep people from God? hundred percent. Same with any other popular streaming platform. It's just the way that our culture is. Another obstacle or imagination that I thought I'd bring up since it was fairly recent is primetime television, good old family-friendly primetime TV. It used to be anyway, but now you can tune in to live award shows and not only see almost fully naked men and women dancing sexually, but now, you know, we can see full-on Satan worship. And this is what we saw recently at the Grammys, and if you're breathing, you probably read something or saw a post about it or whatever. Maybe you watched the Grammys. I don't know. And it's not that I'm flabbergasted that this happened in Hollywood. Oh, my goodness. Hollywood glorified the enemy. I mean, they've been doing it for years and years. So it's not about that. But we are now in a time where it's so direct and so blatant that it's if the enemy is mocking God. He's saying, look at my platform. Look at the attention I'm getting. Look at my influence. Look at my my fame. Look that even your people, people that would call themselves your followers, they're here partaking or they're partaking in their own living rooms, whatever. And it's not that I even care to bring more attention to it because you know what? Satan is defeated foe. We don't have to fear him. He doesn't get any glory. But I bring it up because something like the Grammys which millions of people watch, and the age demographic is the younger generation, that is being used as an obstacle to keep people from knowing God. It's being used as a place to exalt wickedness and evil. So for me, I feel very encouraged when I hear other Christians, you guys, or a pastor or a leader, call out the evil in our culture call out the evil that's being shoved in our faces every single day. It's encouraging when I see people standing on the word of God and the word of God alone. And listen, this is not about attacking people. It's about defending God and defending the truth. Because you know what? I love people, and the people that are deep in the throes of wickedness and evil and witchcraft and Satanism, they need Jesus. They need to know the love of Christ. We need to pray for their hearts because honestly, you guys, it's, it's interesting to see if you were to dedicate prayer for people in Hollywood, you will see things change. But I think we're so used to it. We just, we don't care. I don't see a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are willing to stand boldly on the truth which probably is why we are at where we are at as a society. Where now there's this tangible evil presenting itself boldly every single day in all sorts of situations. Because you know why? When evil is not being challenged or resisted, it gets cocky. Kind of like Goliath, right? Why do you think Goliath was out there mocking God, mocking the army? They're cowering in a tent. They're basically saying, here, the floor is yours, Goliath. Take our territory. But the absolute craziest thing for me to witness right now is other Christians who are not only not calling out the unquestionable evil and wickedness that's happening. And you know what? I won't judge them for that. That's between them and God. But those are the same Christians that are attacking other Christians that are calling it out. That's insane. That's like an upside down world. And I'm just going to give you a couple of quotes. One quote is from a guy who's, he's super popular and he's awesome and I'm going to keep praying for him and support him, but I think he's wrong. And this is what he said. He said, one thing I know about Sam Smith's Grammy performance is that I wouldn't have even known about it if I wasn't constantly being told I should be upset about it. That's also true for most of America. There's a lesson there. I'm not upset about it. I don't take offense where it doesn't belong. Well, first of all, maybe that's part of the problem. Like, if you don't have some sort of awareness of the evil around you, how can God use you to combat it? How can God use you to be a voice in it or to shine a light on it? Also, don't assume that people who call out the evil in our culture are doing it because they're offended. Most of the people that I see calling it out are doing it out of obedience and something called righteous anger, that it's okay to feel as a Christian. And I can't help but wonder, like, where is the line for someone like that? What level of evil has to occur for it to belong to you, for you to speak up in, for you to bring attention to it? Because you could use that excuse for anything. And then another quote by a pastor, and this is kind of common. He said, and they will know we are Christians by our hate-filled takes on the Grammys, said no one ever. I'm just thinking, when in the heck did exposing darkness and evil become offensive to other Christians? When did calling out Satan worship become defined as hate? That sounds like the world to me. And when I hear Christian leaders and pastors, you know, saying things like this, it makes me wonder, well, who is their hope really in? Is it in the God of the Bible? Because the God of the Bible says have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. It doesn't stop there. Then it says, but instead expose them. The Bible tells us also to be watchful and aware and alert of the enemy's schemes because he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for whom to devour. See, we're called to be watchmen We don't know what's going on around us. If we don't know what evil is happening around us, how will you be able to call forth the truth? But we live in a world where the word of God is being manipulated and twisted to fit our own feelings. Our own feelings have become obstacles that are keeping people from knowing God. Maybe even keeping ourselves from knowing God fully and the truth fully. Because listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 32. He says, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Remaining faithful to what he says. See, my feelings are not going to bring people into the kingdom of God. The truth will, because remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I am the way, the love, and the life. And you know what? Some of us get hung up on the love part. But without truth, love means nothing. People need the truth to find their way to Jesus so they can experience his love. The pastor who said, they will know we are Christians by our hate-filled take on the Grammys. He's referring to the verse in John 13 35 when Jesus said by this they will know you are my my disciples by your love for one another. See people including Christians have taken that verse and applied it to the world but Jesus didn't say they will know you are my disciples for your love for them for the world. He said they will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. Now, that's a whole other message, right? Because when I look at the church, especially in America, I think, man, I've not ever seen something so divisive and backbiting comp- you know, competition between churches. It's ridiculous. Things have become so muddied, and it's becoming harder and harder to see the truth through lies. It's becoming more challenging to be the one that doesn't bend when it comes to the truth of God. That's why it takes a militant kind of hope. It takes courage to be a David in the midst of an army cowering in a tent. So my encouragement to you is to stop underestimating the power of God in your life when you take a stand against the enemy. See, most of the time, your militant hope, your courage, the times when you challenge and you resist the enemy, it's not just about you. You might think it's just about you in the moment, but your courage usually has repercussions that reach far into the spirit realm. You may not even know or understand the giants that are being knocked down because of your courage. In the book of Esther, we always kind of talk about and see Esther's courage in that story about how, you know, if she went before the king without being invited, she could have been killed. So we kind of focus on her courage, and we kind of overlook Mordecai's courage. Mordecai was Esther's cousin who had adopted her because her parents died. And the story is that the king of Persia was looking for a new queen. He sends out the notice to the kingdom, inviting all all the virgins to come to his palace so he can choose the new queen. And he chooses Esther. He crowns her as queen. And then it says Mordecai becomes a palace official. So he's there. He's able to still be with Esther. And in Esther chapter 2, it says this. It says, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Now, Mordecai could have said to himself, you know what? I'm not going to take offense where it doesn't belong to me. They're the ones mad at the king, not me. But instead, he did involve himself. He did say something, and the men's evil plan was turned around on themselves. Then we read that the king appoints a man named Haman to a position that made Haman the most powerful official in the empire. And in Esther chapter 3, it says this, all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So Haman ends up manipulating the king into issuing this decree, you know, to destroy all the Jews. And Haman's feeling pretty good about himself. And it says this: it says, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. See, the enemy becomes furious when God's people challenge and resist him. Mordecai was defiant. In a good way, because he had militant hope. He was not going to bow down to anyone but God. And Haman wanted to kill him for it. And he didn't want to just kill Mordecai, but he wanted to kill all the Jews because I think he knew that there would probably others like him that would resist him and challenge him. And as the story goes, Mordecai, you know, learns of this evil plan. He tells Esther. Esther's nervous at first, thinking, I can't do this. I could be killed if I just show up before the king. And Mordecai encourages her and he says, perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Caleb and Leah, perhaps you were in the positions you were for such a time as this. There's no doubt about that. So Esther had the courage. She put her life on the line. She goes before the king. She's like, hey, she's like, I'm a Jew. Mordecai, the guy who saved your life my cousin, he is a Jew, and Haman tricked you into issuing this decree, and the king was not happy with Haman. And it says this, it says, one of the king's chamberlains said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai. See, when you have courage, when we, the body of Christ, have courage because we have militant hope and we resist the enemy and we come against him, his plans will be turned around back on himself. Haman's plans failed because of someone else's courage, because of someone else's militant hope, because of someone else's voice, because of someone else's courage, to speak up because someone wasn't afraid to challenge and resist evil and when you look at the story you see that um, Mordecai and Esther they were actually part of the tribe of Benjamin and in Genesis 49 Jacob who had 12 sons, Benjamin was the youngest he was speaking a blessing over each of his sons And he said this about Benjamin. He says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf devouring his enemies in the morning and dividing his plunder in the evening. And then when you read about Benjamin, that tribe was known for their courage, known for their skill in battle. So it's not surprising that Mordecai and Esther, that would have been their lineage. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise you when you're also called to that kind of courage to that kind of militant hope because do you think jesus died and rose and then sent his spirit so we could just sit quietly and be comfortable and wait for his return no he gave us his spirit that we might live by his spirit with courage to do the things he's called us to do cast out demons heal the sick speak in tongues prophesy bring the kingdom of heaven to earth It will take militant hope to do that. It will take courage for you to stand up and do those things and to resist and challenge the enemy. And I, you know, I don't know if any of you have heard about this revival stuff that's happening. Who's heard about it? Yeah, it's cool. Because, I mean, we're praying for it, right? But do you know that revival starts in your own heart? That's where real revival happens is inside your heart. So we can look at places like Asbury, you know, that's, what, going on eight days or something like that of just these full-on worship sessions and just the power of God's falling, and it's awesome, and it's good, and Lord, we want more of it. He wants to do that today in your own heart. And I will say this, because I've been there before, It does take courage. It does take something inside yourself, you know, that militant type of thing. Like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to stand. It takes that kind of spirit to submit yourself to the Lord, to his leadings, to his calling, to his voice. And that's what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to call us all to that today as we're doing this last song whether it's in your seat whether you come to the altar and you ask the Lord God pour out your spirit in my life Lord give me the courage to stand in this culture in this time because you know what guys it's only by his spirit that we will be able to do what he's called us to do only by his spirit it has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with Jesus and our hope in him and who he is we got to lay our pride down. Jesus, I want more of you, Lord. Jesus, I want more of you, God. And I know there are people in this room today, in this place today, that they are desperate for more of you, God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go into this last song, that we would feel and see your tangible presence, God. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the earth, what you're doing in this place, in this body. So just more of you, God, more of you. Thank you, Jesus.